0: Amen. God is faithful. Amen. Thank you, team. Wonderful reminder this morning. As we were singing, I I just thought, well, we could just say amen and go home. You just preached the sermon for today pretty much. Um, But one of the ways that we truly know that God is faithful is through examining his word and seeing how trustworthy and faithful he is to do exactly what he said he would. And that's the testimony that we find when we turn to the book of Exodus and continue our study this morning. And let's look at our memory verse uh, first because, again, it reminds us of God's faithfulness. We'll say it together. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Exodus 24 and 25. A faithful God indeed. And on Sunday mornings when we gather and we sing together and we reflect on those truths and those promises, a lot of times we leave here and we're energized and fired up and we're thinking, yes, yes, yes! And Monday comes and we still maybe are riding on that uh, idea and that thought that we've carried from Sunday morning, yes, yes, yes! And then Tuesday we get up and we go into work or we go out into the world that we live in and all of a sudden Life hits. Life happens. Something hard. Something difficult. Today, in particular, we're looking at opposition and criticism. Have you ever faced opposition in your life? Have you ever been criticized? And I'm not talking about constructive criticism, criticism that builds us up and encourages us and. And pushes us forward. I'm I'm just talking about that nagging, constant pulling down. The criticism that drags us into the weeds and the muck and mire of life. Where sometimes it's hard to see clearly. This is what Moses, Aaron, and the other Hebrew leaders are going to face when they go before the Pharaoh. If you remember, at the end of chapter 4, where we let off last week, Moses and Aaron had brought the Israelite leaders together. They had informed them about what God was going to do, and the Israelite leaders were excited. If you remember, they bowed to the ground, and they worshipped. Well, as we turn to our text today, Exodus chapter 5, we're going to find the tide of that worship and that attitude turned very quickly when the people are faced with opposition and criticism. And so perhaps a good question that we ask of the text this morning would be, what can be hopeful to us when we face opposition as we live out God's calling on our lives? Today we are looking at Exodus chapter 5 through chapter 7, Verse 13, so a big chunk of text this morning, we're going to move rapidly, and before we jump into God's Word, let's ask Him to help us guide this time of study today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. We indeed gather today excited knowing that Your Spirit is alive and active right now. And Father, every one of us uh, in our lives have faced at one level or another opposition and criticism. Some of us sit here today. And there is opposition or criticism that is very heavy and near to us. To navigate it, Lord, requires wisdom. It requires perseverance. It requires obedience. Walking by faith. Lord, we see that there were times in Moses and Aaron and, and the Hebrew leaders, times in their life and leadership where they struggled. They fumbled. They messed up. And Lord, sometimes in our lives, we do too. We face opposition. We face criticism and we lose hope. We don't keep moving forward. We stop. Even when we know we're being faithful to what you've called us to do. So, Lord, as we open Your text this morning and study together from Your Word, I pray that You would help us to learn, to take truths from it that we could apply in our lives so that when we face criticism and opposition in our lives, we can remain faithful and that we can hold on to the hope that You've secured through Jesus. It's in His name we pray, amen. Exodus chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 to 9 to begin our time together today. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 to 9 to 9. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall still impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God.'" Let heavier work be laid on the man that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. The scene quickly closes out in chapter 4 of this audience of Israelites who had accepted and believed the words of Aaron and Moses and were worshiping God. And now we're opening on Moses and Aaron's initial confrontation with the Pharaoh. Yahweh's request was... To see his people set free. To to worship him outside of Egypt. It's a request that Pharaoh is going to stubbornly refuse. Look again at verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey him by releasing Israel? I do not know the Lord. I will not release Israel. Pharaoh's response should leave readers and listeners of God's word echoing in our minds the name of God as revealed In chapter 3, the God that Pharaoh asks about here is the one true living God, the great I am, the God that will soon prove his power and his sovereignty over not just Pharaoh, but all of the other gods of Egypt. And instead of following the orders of God, Pharaoh actually in our text doubles down on his commission of hard labor for the Hebrew people. If Pharaoh was concerned about the growth of the Hebrew population, then in his mind, giving them time away from Egypt to worship Yahweh could only lead to further growth. So rather than liberation, his reply, get back to work. What are you doing keeping these people from their labor? Slave masters and foremen, from now on, make them collect their own straw." these people are a bunch of slackers pay no attention to their lying words you see opposition to God's plan was coming early to Moses and Aaron and the Hebrew elders and God had prepared them that this opposition was going to come but it's one thing for us to to be told we're going to face opposition And a whole other thing, when that opposition actually confronts us face to face. That's scary, isn't it? Have any of you here ever sat in the face of direct opposition? What begins to happen? Think about it. Go back to a time, I know it's uncomfortable, but go back to a time and think about when you were sitting in direct opposition. Can you think? Our heart starts to do what? Race. Sometimes our hands start to shake, right? We can feel maybe our stomach getting tight, our head and our, our vision starts to get a little cloudy. This is hard. This is difficult stuff that Moses and Aaron are facing. And they're facing the one of the rulers of the ancient Near East, Pharaoh, a man who had the power to put them to death. And when the trail before us becomes cluttered and And there's obstacles that are painting the paths that we tread are we going to have the endurance and the perseverance and the patience and the courage and the faith to continue on would moses would aaron would the other israelite leaders continue in the face of this opposition to walk by faith and as the narrative continues to unfold the slave masters give this new order to the Israelites, and the Israelites now have to spread out all over Egypt and collect stubble for the straw to make the bricks that they were making. Look at verse 14. The foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters have set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And the people were expected to take on this new command of Pharaoh without a decrease in their previous production of bricks. And this time, instead of crying out to God, the people begin to cry out to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, in the narrative, is now presented as the primary obstacle between God's people and His plan of deliverance for them. The Hebrews have grown quite discouraged. They've been beaten. They've been abused. They've been pressed down under the weight of oppression. Their words echo in history and the cries of all who've ever been held in slavery or bondage. Then verse 15, the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants Yet they say to us, the taskmasters, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And when the foreman approached Pharaoh with the complaint of the people, Pharaoh's response is loaded with fury. And anger, I think the net translation, the NET translation, it best represents the Hebrew text here, so I want to read from that, but you're going to hear the hatred and the anger and the vitriol that Pharaoh has towards his people, starting in verse 17, Pharaoh replies, you are slackers, slackers, twice, have you ever been called a slacker, lazy, lazy, I believe the people were far from that. That is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. So now get back to work. You will not be given straw, but you must still produce your quota of bricks. Merciless. Merciless. The Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told you must not reduce the daily quota of your bricks. This is an impossible situation. Impossible. Not only did they have to maintain their quota, but now they had to go and get all the stuff on their own and still perform. In his opposition to God, Pharaoh's Responding to his critics by increasing their labor and their pain in slavery. And this drives the Israelite people into deeper despair. They're unheard. They're feeling unseen. Found without hope as slaves in Egypt. And when faced with this persecution, their hopelessness is actually going to take the form of criticism towards the people that God had sent to help them. Have you ever hurt someone who was trying to help? There's a popular slogan out there. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. Here is Moses and Aaron sent by God to help the people. They'd gone to Pharaoh. They had gotten the people gathered. The people would believe. They had listened. There was excitement. There was worship. They go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh... Doubles down on their workload and now they're discouraged and they're sad and they're hopeless. And verse 21, they're blaming their poor treatment now on the people, the very people who had been sent to help. They said to Moses and Aaron, may the Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the opinion of Pharaoh and his servants. So that you have given them an excuse to kill us. In that verse we can sense the hopelessness of the people transferred on to Moses and Aaron. It was Moses and Aaron who had prepared them for this response from Pharaoh. But the pain and the discomfort of the consequences that came from opposing Pharaoh. Was too much for the people to bear any longer. Their critique On Moses and Aaron is stinging. And again, friends, I think all of us in some ways can relate. It's it's one thing to face criticism and opposition from someone that we know is against the plans that God has given us. But it's an altogether different, different and often much more painful sting of criticism when the complaint comes from the very people we've been sent to guide and serve. Those who we most closely love, desire to walk alongside of, our spouses, our children, families, loved ones, neighbors, people from our own churches and faith communities, their critiques, their criticisms, are often the ones that can cause the deepest wounds. Wounds that take time to heal. Wounds that sometimes never really do fully heal. Wounds that can cause us to grow angry with God as we start to doubt and question His calling and the effectiveness of His work in and through us. This is what the people were doing. They're questioning. They're questioning Moses and Aaron. They're questioning if this is really God's plan. And if it is, why is it like this when we encounter those voices what is our response when we know we've been called by God to a task and we're walking faithfully in the plans and the ways that he has given to us and we still face opposition and still face criticism how will we respond and here Moses is demonstrating His very fledgling or immature faith. He's not yet walking as he should. And God is soon going to remind him of his promises. Look at chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? From the time I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you have certainly not rescued them. Do you sense Moses' discouragement? Over the years, it's, it's almost been 20 years of ministry now, And in 20 years of full-time ministry, I've encountered many pastors and ministry workers who have prayed the same prayer. And unfortunately, many have walked away from ministry doubting and discouraged, broken. The world we inhabit, friends, is a difficult place. It's filled With darkness, it's ruled by the prince of the power of the air. Sin and death frolic through our neighborhoods like foxes in chicken houses or wolves in sheep pens. We watch our friends and our family members fall away, sometimes giving up on God and His church. Sometimes we witness the blossoming faith of another person stamped out by sin or tragedy. There's disintegration around us, the disintegration of families and communities. We find ourselves at times pleading with God, can you still shine through and cause us to have effect in these places that you've planted us and called us to? Can we truly be a beacon for Christ in the darkness of this world? Why did you ever send me? Why are you not rescuing your if we've ever prayed this prayer or one like it, then we might be able to subtly re- relate to Moses' pain in verses 22 and 23. And as chapter 6 opens, God's response is striking. In our pain, in our feeling or sense of inadequacy, in our questioning, sometimes in our doubting even, when we feel that God is silent or He is not working, we are to remember and rehearse His promises. Watch where God takes Moses here. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do. To Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him now I want you to watch all the I am statements here. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from the slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. He's not done. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob I will give it to you as a possession I am the Lord wow (laughs) you ever need a little bit of uplifting and encouragement For your week. Exodus (laughs) 6. He's still this Lord. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in this revelation and rehearsal of truth, God is promising to accomplish three tasks for the Israelite people. There's seven times in verses 1-8 to where God uses the phrase, I will... The first task he's going to complete is that through Pharaoh's strong hand, the Israelites would be freed completely from Egypt. He was going to accomplish it. God was going to do it. The second task that he was going to complete for the people, once freed, he was going to call them as his own, adopting them as one of his children. And then finally, the third task, he was going to guide them and to secure for them the land of promise. It's good for us to remember, friends, when we face our opponents and when we hear the voices of our critics ringing as gongs in our ears, we are to remember that God will accomplish what he has set out to do in and through our lives. He will not fail. He will not faint. He will not grow weary. He will do it. Amen? Amen. In all of us, He will do it. If you're feeling discouraged at some point this week, if everything feels like it's heavy and just laying on you and you don't even know how you can take the next step because of how painful things are, Remember, He will do it. We don't have to. If He's alive and active within us, if He's living in us, because we know Jesus as our Savior, He can do it. Now, we we are not Israel. But the promises are similar. Through Jesus, God has freed us completely from the wages of sin And death, following our acceptance of this free gift that's offered by Jesus, God adopts us into His family as His children. Then He calls us to take part in His kingdom. This is our land of promise. And we can begin taking part, even now here on earth, until one day we fully realize the full inheritance we have in heaven. God's plan of salvation, His offer of deliverance from sin and death, is available to any and all who would put their faith and trust in Him. Friends, He sent Jesus because He loves us. Jesus' life and His death, it secured the right. The right for us to be called sons and daughters of God. And if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we are saved. I want to give that opportunity right now, in the middle of the sermon, for someone to do that. To pray that prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. If you're at home, stand as well. If you're watching online, you can stand right where you're at, in your living room or wherever you're at, wherever you're watching. Unless you're watching in the hospital, then please, don't get up if you're not allowed. Do you know, God is still in the business of freeing His people today. Amen? Amen. He's still in the business of calling people unto Himself. Amen? Amen? And there may be some in our presence right now today, or watching wherever they're at, that do not yet know that freedom. And I think right now is a great time for them to learn of it. Let's pray. If you don't know the Lord, if He's not your Lord and Savior, just follow with me in this prayer silently. Lord, I believe. Lord, I confess that I've struggled with sin. I have a great problem with it. And I understand the consequences of that sin is death and Lord, I recognize today that Your Son Jesus came and He died to save me. So I don't have to be burdened with that sin anymore. He died the death that I deserved. And then He raised from the dead. And today I believe, I confess it with my mouth, Jesus is Lord and God I believe that by Your power He raised from the dead. And he's forgiven me of my sin. That I might live with him forever. Thank you. Thank you for providing so great a salvation. In Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. If today, whether you're in this building. Or whether you're online, if if today was the first day that you ever prayed that prayer, if today is the first day that you've ever recognized your great need for Jesus and understood fully what He did, what He accomplished on our behalf, then in your weekly uh, or online, there's a link, there's a white sheet. I would just ask you, fill it out. If you're in the building, drop it in the box in the back. Let us know so that we can celebrate this with you. Send it to us by email. We'll contact you. We'll reach out. We'll put someone alongside you. We'll pray for you. We'll rejoice in what God has done in your life. This is the God that freed the people who were enslaved in Egypt. And he's freeing those enslaved by sin today. Now, back in our text, things take a bit of a difficult turn again here for Moses. God's just finished reviving and lifting moses's heart with the reminders of all the work that he was going to do and when moses goes and rehearses it back with the people they are so discouraged that they simply are unable to hear it or accept it and friends this is sometimes how our proclamation of the good news is received still today sometimes Others' uh, sins or our own sins or the sins that have been committed against other people can have a way of dragging us into the darkest and most hopeless of spaces. And this is exactly the place where Moses is going to find the Israelites. Look at verse 9 of chapter 6. Moses told this to the Israelites. All that God had just rehearsed. but, But what? They did not listen to Him. Because of their discouragement, and hard labor. If we don't think that sin or oppression have an effect on the ability of others to hear, see or experience the goodness of God, our thinking should be reformed as we're confronted with these verses. Slavery in Egypt has caused the people to grow deaf of Moses's voice and the voice of God. And Moses, again, is beginning to doubt his own ability to communicate with clarity the power, and the promises of God. Look at verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he must release the Israelites from this land. What does Moses do? But Moses replied to the Lord, If the Israelites did not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I, since I speak with such difficulty? Now it's very interesting, there's a contrast here. Just as God in in, uh, verses 1 to 8 of chapter 6 has given his I will statements, Moses in chapters 3 through 6 has given his own seven I can't statements. Who am I that I should go? I can't go. What am I to say? I I don't know what to say. I can't. What if they don't believe? I can't convince them. I'm not a good communicator I can't speak very well send someone else I can't see God it didn't work I can't no one is listening to me I can't I hear I can't a lot (laughs) in a lot of different contexts (laughs) not just as a dad As a coach, sometimes as a pastor, those aren't great, fun words to engage. But we all use them. We've all been there. As if the opposition of Pharaoh or the critiques of his own people weren't enough, perhaps, perhaps it is Moses himself who is his own most relentless and loudest critic. Sometimes it's not the voice of other people. Sometimes it's not the voice of the opposition. Sometimes it's that voice in our own head that keeps us from doing what God's called us to do. I can't. But the testimony of the Bible is that God works in and through our weaknesses, our inability, His opportunity... To shine brightly and communicate His nature to the world. And verse 13 serves as this pivot point in the narrative. The time for talking, for deliberating, for debating, and for asking about all the details. It's over. God is now going to demonstrate how mightily He can work through both those in positions of power like Pharaoh and those in positions of weakness like Moses, Aaron, and the other people. To accomplish his plans look at verse 13 the lord spoke to moses and aaron and gave them a charge for the israelites and pharaoh king of egypt to bring the israelites out of the land of egypt now notice in the charge that god gives it to moses and the pharaoh and within it there's instruction for both the israelites and pharaoh working in synchronized fashion to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh, though he has a strong hand and a hardened heart, will be used mightily of God in this deliverance of the Hebrew people. And we're going to cover verses 14 to 27, the ancestry of Moses and Aaron, in our Sunday Leftovers podcast that will be released on February 6th. Um, there's a lot of details regarding how they ended up in this space, but we want to continue right along into the end of chapter 6. So chapter 6, verses 28 to 30, leave us with a review of Moses' reluctance. And as we enter chapter 7, we finally begin to see God's reluctant deliverer, just like a toddler, learning to walk by faith. Look at chapter 7. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God the Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to speak everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh that he must release the Israelites from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and although I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. I will reach into Egypt and bring out my regiments, my people, the Israelites from the land of Egypt, with great acts of judgment. So Moses speaks to Aaron, and Aaron, like a prophet, uh, serves as Moses' mouthpiece to Pharaoh, and Aaron would speak the words of God with fervency, boldness, and conviction. And although they're rather advanced in age, by the way, the text tells us they're in their mid-80s. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That is, for some of us, that's young. But for some of us who may be right there in that window of time and we're wondering, Lord, what can you do right now in my life? Well, he used Moses and Aaron in their 80s to free the people from Egypt. That's a pretty big thing. I'm believing he can still work in pretty mighty ways through everyone no matter our age or circumstance. Absolutely. So by faith, like toddlers, they approach The Pharaoh. D.L. Moody, founder of Moody Bible Institute, he was reflecting on this narrative and once used the following words to sum up Moses' life. I love this. He said, quote, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody, 40 years in the desert learning he was nobody, and 40 years showing what God can do with somebody who found out they were a nobody. End quote. That's good. What follows in verses 8 to 13 of chapter 7 is the beginning of the miracles and the wonders that God would perform to see his people delivered. Look at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when the Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So hear it now in, in the narrative, and this gets, this really gets wild from here on out. In the next few weeks, we're going to cover the plagues, and it's going to be really fun, really wild ride. Uh, this is the mighty God of Israel. This is El Shaddai at, at his most Visibly powerful manifestation in this time of history. Fighting for his people's freedom. And the serpent, the image of the serpent here, plays such an incredibly crucial role in the narrative of the scriptures from beginning to the end, really. Not just in Exodus, and not just as related to Satan. We often hear of the snake, and who do we think of first, right away? Satan. But But the serpent isn't just... In relation to Satan, remember, the son of man himself, Jesus, would be lifted as the snake in the wilderness that all who would look upon him would find salvation. Numbers 21 and then John chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. So here, the staff that Aaron would cast down would become a serpent that would end up eating the serpents of the Egyptian magicians. Now, they seem to think that they were in trouble. Pharaoh didn't seem to think so much. Remember, the cobra was a sign of power, of deity for the pharaohs. One that they would wear on their head, a visible representation that they were lowercase g, God. Yahweh's snake devoured all of their snakes. A powerful sign, and one that Pharaoh would completely discount or end up looking upon with scorn and contempt. A special measure of God's presence and power, the one true God was now within the Egyptian court and country and God's presence and His power would not be there without effect on the nation. And next week, we'll begin to unpack the plagues that came upon the Egyptian nation. So what hope can we cling to when facing opposition and criticism? along the pathways that God's placed us on, while ministering to those He's called us to serve. A few concluding thoughts from our text this morning. When facing opposition and criticism, it's good to remember that God goes before us and that His Spirit is alive and active within us, producing the fruit He intends to overwhelm the obstacles we face in this world with good. Moses is going to face relentless opposition, both from Pharaoh and eventually his own people. And under this relentless opposition, we can't lose heart or lose our grip on hope. There is fruit that God produces in and through his people that can overwhelm the evil and the opposition in our lives with good, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We know them. Goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control next when facing opposition and criticism it's good to rightly order the voices we are hearing Moses needed to listen to the voice of the Lord over the voice of Pharaoh his opposition over the voice of the Israelite leaders his critics He needed to hear the voice of the Lord, not dismissing or ignoring the other voices, but rightly ordering them, prioritizing God's voice first. And I think this is especially important when the criticism is coming from our own corners, from the people that we walk the closest with. God's voice comes first, it needs to be our closest companion on the journey then mentors and trusted voices, and we weigh their words against the words of our opposition and critics. And then finally, as we saw by the example of Moses and Aaron, though they walked as toddlers early on in this journey, they stayed the course, and their walk was steadied. They could have given up. They could have heard the voices and just, Lord, we can't do it. We're discouraged. They're discouraged. There's no hope. I'm going back to Midian. i got a family. I'm going to go back to shepherd and sheep. But even though reluctantly, they obeyed. They were fearful, but they were obedient. And God blessed them by being faithful to do exactly what He said that He would through them. The Scripture tells us, Blessed are those who suffer for the sake of righteousness righteousness and in this world friends we will suffer for the sake of righteousness jesus did the disciples did many throughout history have we will too and we can live with the confidence that staying the course of god's standard of right living in this world and as we do that he'll steady our walk and we can be encouraged and empowered and equipped as god is faithful to help us and that which he has called us to do. And we are going to have some time today to celebrate uh, two of our young ladies who are, well, they're walking by faith in the places that God has sent them to in different parts of the world. And we're going to hear from Daryl and Ladina. They're going to share a little bit uh, about Emma or Emily and Jenna and what they've been up to. And we have to unfortunately dismiss our live stream audience at this time because some of the nature of what they are going to share needs to remain sensitive since they're in parts, serving in parts of the world where there is uh, just a sensitivity to those things and we really want to protect protect them. So if you'd like to hear this update, I believe we will have service recorded. If you're listening online, let us know and we'll try to get this update to you. I'm going to pray as we dismiss our live stream audience and then Daryl and Ladina are going to come and share about Emily. And Jenna, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of your faithfulness. Thank you for demonstrating your power before Pharaoh. And thank you for being a God who never changes, a God that's still in the business of setting people free, even today. Lord, there are people in our lives, every one of our lives, that do not know you, that are enslaved to the power of sin and death. And Lord, we know. Uh, that you can use us, I don't know why you choose to, but you do, uh, somehow to reach people. And Father, just pray that you would help us to be faithful, to help us to walk with obedience, even when uh, it's a little scary, even when it's a little unclear, even when there's opposition and criticism in our lives that might discourage us or cause us to be hopeless, help us to cling to your promises, cling to the faithfulness of who you are, and walk faithfully. And what you've called us to. And we want to give you the glory for all these things. Because you are the only one that's deserving of it. It's in Jesus name.